Are you thinking about adding a pharmacist to your primary care team? Are you committed to the idea of a pharmacist in primary care, but aren't quite sure what they'll do? Yeah, me too. Welcome to Team Up, a podcast where we talk about team-based primary care in British Columbia. I'm Sarah, a medical anthropologist and team member in the Innovation Support Unit in the Department of Family Practice at the University of British Columbia. And I'm Morgan, a family doctor and also a team member in the Innovation Support Unit. So Morgan, we know that many PCNs in primary care clinics are really interested in this idea of pharmacists in primary care. And as we prepared for this episode, I was really surprised by just how little I really knew about what pharmacists actually do. I've been working with pharmacists in my clinic for 16 years now. And even before I came on board, I thought I knew how pharmacists work. So I can totally understand why there's such a demand right now for pharmacists. And yet, I think a lot of people don't know in primary care all the things pharmacists can do. And, you know, what's really reframed my thinking is this idea of pharmacists as kind of detectives. They can scan an EMR, identify patients who are at risk for medical complications based on the drug therapies that they're taking, or they can create these complex drug interaction maps searching for interactions between medications that could be causing different kinds of secondary health issues, right? Like, that's pretty cool. It is. When people talk about pharmacists doing a best possible medication history, I know some people get their nose out of joint, like, I could take a medication history too. Honestly, I take a second best, if that, because pharmacists are so thorough and they can be such detectives as they go along. So much of their work can be around patient education and making sure that they have all the information that they need. And that's definitely different than what they're doing necessarily in a dispensary. And this is just a really unique set of skills that's going to be really helpful in primary care. Let's talk a little bit about the scope of pharmacists in primary care teams. What do they do? So a pharmacist's focus is on the drug therapies that a patient is taking. Is it a suitable drug therapy for the condition? Is it delivering the results? Is the dose and the frequency and the dosage form working for the patient? Does the patient understand how to take it? Does the patient have any concerns or unexpected impacts? Is the medication covered by a drug plan? Is it going to impact their kidney function that impairs the second drug that they're taking? So we work alongside prescribers and we provide the analysis, the detail, and we come up with therapeutic recommendations that based on what we understand are going to give this patient the best likelihood of success. And then we will work with prescribers to make sure that the treatment plan is working accordingly. We primarily contribute to the care of medically complex patients. We also spend a fair amount of our time working with people who are frail and older and have been on a number of drug therapies and maybe they don't need them all anymore. So we will sort out what they need to be on and what we can remove to lighten the load psychologically, physically, and economically for these patients. And that was Barbara Gobus, who's the director of the UBC Pharmacist Clinic and the operational program lead for the Pharmacists in Primary Care Networks program, which helps pharmacists integrate into PCNs across BC. So this definitely rings true as a scope for pharmacists that I've worked with, at least. They're often responsible for some of the more complex patients and assessing them. And that's often people as they age. They're going to be coming on more medications and have more health conditions. And that's happening in so many practices. We're dealing with a larger population of elderly people. Barbara mentioned something really interesting that I'd love to get your take on, Morgan. The idea that pharmacists look to kind of lighten the load for patients psychologically, physically, and economically. What does that mean to you? 
Well, I think that means that a pharmacist is going to consider the holistic patient and help them understand what's happening. Remembering that there's a mental burden for taking medications and the physical burden of the different side effects and the, even the costs of taking medications. If a, a patient can't remember when or how to take their medications or they're having too many side effects, if they can't afford medications at all, then whatever the doctor prescribes doesn't have a chance to help. Now, doctors can try to think of these things, but nobody's in a better spot to know it all and to have the time to look at this information than the pharmacist. You know, I think as we've all experienced, the number of touch points that a patient has across a system can be a lot. We've talked a lot about how it's a really complex system that folks need to navigate, particularly, I think, when we think about unattached patients who might be seeing different doctors at walk-in clinics or patients who have been hospitalized. That means that the care team might be a bit siloed, so the pharmacist can play that role in bringing the whole picture together. Barbara shared a really great example that I think is helpful here. An older gentleman who had been discharged from hospital and was not having success with his treatment at home, and our pharmacist reviewed all of the medications they were taking, and unfortunately that patient was still taking some of the medications prescribed before their hospital visit, as well as those prescribed during and after their hospital visit altogether and was taking things that they weren't supposed to be taking. So we talked to all the members of the care team and confirmed what needed to be on and what needed to be off and made sure the patient was understanding, got everything adjusted, and then that patient was just fine. But they were inadvertently in a toxic situation because nobody was checking. I think this is a great example of how pharmacists can really support patients through transitions, moving between different points of care and finding ways to ensure that continuity of care. And continuity is really important. And Barbara also shared that the more processes we have between the patient and the pharmacist, the more separation between the patient and the pharmacist, that can actually impede care. So if a patient is discharged to their primary care provider, who then had to refer them to a pharmacist, that would reduce the quality of care. This idea of pharmacists being actively on top of patient panels, being part of the team, ideally being co-located, really can have a huge, huge positive impact on outcomes. The worst thing that you can do is have one person be forced to be a gatekeeper that decides who gets referred to other care providers. You're much better off having in a case conference or a rounds discussing elderly people at risk of falls. And then the pharmacist can say, well, this is what I'm looking at. And then the group will say, okay, we're going to tag everybody who has those risk factors and we'd like you to review them and see if they're safe. Or better yet, you let the pharmacist just go into the EMR and identify the people that are either new to the practice, who are on drug therapies and people don't know why, or patients who need extra time to get their questions answered. And there's really good evidence that when you let a pharmacist manage the risk that we see, patients do better, care teams have less stress, and the pharmacist feels very rewarded in their work. So this is really where we get into that idea of pharmacists as detectives. The pharmacist could take a bunch of data in an EMR and use their skills to proactively prevent patients from having health complications. I like the idea of allowing pharmacists to manage some of the risk for patients. They've got that experience and knowledge. I know EMRs can pose challenges in terms of access, but getting to a place where the pharmacist is part of the team and has access to the record so they can see the patient files, go through some of the history, and then make recommendations and put those recommendations in the chart so that everybody can have access to them, that's super important. So I think this really points to the whole team approach. If MOAs or nurses or another team member can identify patient groups, they would benefit from some detective work from a pharmacist. This could be really helpful. And using the EMR to do this is not that hard. 
you can search the number of medications people are on and just pull those with a, a large number of meds. And those are more than likely going to be a, a quick spot to start bringing a pharmacist in. Another thing that we learned is that pharmacists do something called a head-to-toe intake when meeting with new patients. And this allows them to get a really comprehensive picture of the patient's health and experience with medications. And when I was speaking with Sadie Quintel, who's a pharmacist who works in a PCN and supports 10 different clinics, she gave me a really detailed explanation of what this kind of head-to-toe intake process looked like. And I had sort of an aha moment about the value here. My initial appointments will be an hour and we sit down and we go through a ton of information. I'll gather information like what their coverage is like for medications. Do they have any issues with affording their medications? Sometimes that's as far as we get because things are so unaffordable and so costly for them that we need to deal with that first before we can move on to trying to optimize care in other ways. Then we move on to making sure to clarify that I actually have an accurate picture of their past medical history. And this also gives me a bit of an idea of where their health literacy is at. So I'll clarify what their medical conditions are. And that's stuff I've usually pre-prepped, right? I've gone through the chart. I've tried to preemptively gather this information so that I know who I'm dealing with from a medical perspective. And then we move on to clarify what they're taking, how they're taking it. Are there discrepancies between how it was prescribed and how they're taking it? And as I'm doing that, I'll usually ask questions about, oh, does that work for you? Then I ask people a series of questions going from head to toe. And that really is a way for me to identify possible side effects of medications or untreated conditions. And I think you can totally hear the detective at work in Sadie's story there. Through her questions, she kind of pulled together the patient's experience, asked about, you know, how are your toes feeling? How are your legs feeling? All All these things that I wouldn't think about if someone was coming in for, say, heart issues. You're going to see this in some of our other roll call episodes that a lot of us do those intake appointments, but we all have a slightly different flavor and focus. And that gives us a better picture for our patients across the team. So I think it's really interesting to hear that intake approach. It is different than how I do my intakes. And the intentionality and the focus around the medications and side effects is so, so important. So what do you think would change for a team if they had a pharmacist doing this kind of intake for patients on complex therapies? How would this make a difference? Well, I mean, it's really interesting to think about. So if everything is going well, then nothing would change. But we know that the reality is that in this complex world of complex patients, that's not the case. As a doctor, there's a couple things with pharmacists that I really appreciate. There is that comprehensive knowledge in the team around medications that I can reach out to and connect and share and learn from. So I might be treating a patient, and I mentioned earlier that you have this complex set of medications, and you want to treat the next thing, or you need to treat something, and which medication is the right choice. And that's where having a pharmacist on the other side of the wall, in my old practice, I literally could knock, well, I had to knock fairly loud because it was a thick wall, but we shared a wall between the pharmacist and myself so we could share patients. So that's the big one in the moment when things are shifting. Then we talked about this other idea of like bringing a patient to see a pharmacist and looking at everything fresh. So just not that I have a specific question, but things are just complex. And I want to make sure that if we can de-prescribe, then a pharmacist is hugely important in that. And that's where we can really start to reduce the number of side effects that impact quality of life. And to know that somebody on the team is looking at that and specifically making recommendations that I can review and follow, that's huge. Well, and as a patient, I would love to know that someone else was considering the full picture in this way too. I get migraines and Barbara actually shared a story that really spoke to me because I was like, oh, this would be so useful. 
It is not uncommon for a person who is living with migraine to have trouble finding the right treatment regimen for their needs. And so people, patients will be tried on a drug therapy and, and it might be considered a failure. And then they get tried on something else and it might be considered a failure and then another and another. And by the time they come to us, they're on third, fourth, fifth line drug therapies that aren't necessarily known to be as effective and have more risks of side effects and toxicities and cost and everything else. So we will go back and check whether those treatments were really failures or whether they just the drug wasn't used in the way that it was intended. We can clean up and get a person back on the first or second line drug therapy fairly straightforwardly. Uh, we can also identify if a patient is on what we call a medication overuse headache. So that means a patient is taking perhaps acetaminophen or ibuprofen and they've been overusing it at home so that that overuse in and of itself starts to trigger headaches. And stopping those therapies in a safe and effective way can provide tremendous benefit to patients. So this is a really common scenario. And Sarah, you don't know it, but this was on my exam <laughs> when I was licensed as a scenario. It's not something that we always think about. Although, because it was on my exam, I've never forgotten it. And pharmacists often will review and find this. We all know that patients suffer with migraines, and it's a challenge to find the right medication. So having expertise of a pharmacist to talk about what the options are, what might have worked in the past but's not working now, mm -hmm. or worse, causing problems now, I think is really important. Just having that extra person to bounce ideas off of and get new ideas to improve the quality of care is great. So I'm already sold on this idea of a pharmacist in a primary care team, but I did want to shift gears a little bit. One of the things we heard a lot about was how patient-centered pharmacy is. And so much of their work is sitting with patients, providing education and guidance. So I have a really great relationship with my community pharmacist. He knows my kids. The only thing I do is get that migraine prescription filled. So he knows that I'm usually not feeling great when I see him. But it's really wonderful to have that kind of relationship Oh, this is the first time that your kid's been on these antibiotics. Do you want me to sit with you and go through how they should be taking them? That kind of education, I think, is invaluable. And Barbara talked a lot about how the values and beliefs of patients are so important to making decisions about drug therapies and treatments to make sure that patients are able to follow through on whatever is prescribed. We will follow up how a patient is doing on a drug therapy and make sure they got the prescription filled and make sure they understand how to take it at home and that if they're taking it at home, that it's working for them so that when the patient comes back to the care team, the care team can have some confidence that the patient is in fact getting the treatment that was intended. We will ask patients what their values are, what their attitudes are towards drug therapy. And a patient's attitude towards drug therapy goes a long way to giving us an idea of how successful they're going to be at home. So, for example, when we work with a person who lives in a First Nations community and identifies as First Nations, we want to be extremely respectful of traditional wellness approaches and how that intersects with Western approaches and how we can find something that will work for a patient. And if that means taking patients off of drug therapy that they don't want to be on, we'll do that. And this same kind of alignment with patient values and making sure that, that drug therapies are going to work for patients was really echoed by Carolyn Canfield, our ISU scholar and patient disruptor extraordinaire. I established a relationship, asked questions about over-the-counter issues that were not something I wanted to trouble my physician with, and the pharmacist was incredibly helpful. I, of course, respect the expertise and the information and the commitment to service that this young pharmacist has, but it's so wonderful to know that he knows who I am. I walk into the pharmacy now, 
he knows me by name and he extends his sense of responsibility to me in a really evident way. So I had heard other patients talk about the importance of their relationship with their pharmacist. And I thought, man, that doesn't make any sense to me. You go in, <laughs> you buy pills, you leave, right? It's not about relationships. Now I have a very different attitude. And uh, I feel like, again, I'm more than just that particular prescription being filled, that this person wants to know me, wants to make sure that my questions are answered, that I'm comfortable with what's going on, and that if I have any concerns, that he's absolutely there to respond to me in an integrative way. Carolyn talks a lot about the relationship with a pharmacist in community pharmacies. And as we move towards primary care teams, I think we can see that patients will build these relationships even more readily when a pharmacist can be part of the team and not just be focused on dispensing, but also the other aspects. And there's that co-location piece there. And you talked about it, Morgan, you know, being able to bang on the wall for the mm -hmm. pharmacist next door. A lot of pharmacists and teams who are coming in and having that co-location time, and that can be so valuable. But also then there's a lot of virtual connection time. And, and I know Sadie, the other pharmacist that we heard from, she works across these 10 clinics. A lot of her work is virtual or she has patients coming to her. So there really is kind of that blend. One of the things I think that was surprising to me was how pharmacists described the role of the pharmacist as a liaison between the patient and prescriber. This stems from my thinking that a prescription gets written down and then that is what has to happen. There's a lot more negotiation that could actually happen, a lot more flexibility. And this is, I think, something that people like me who aren't primary care providers might not really understand. I think people don't really understand what a prescription is. A prescription is a request to a pharmacist to provide drug therapy to a patient. A pharmacist can change the request, refuse to fill the request, talk to the prescriber, recommend that the request or the chosen therapy be changed. That is a pharmacist's responsibility. So we check doses, we check kidney function, we make sure it's not gonna interact with other drug therapies. We're going to make sure it doesn't increase grandma's risk of falling because she's she's unsteady on her feet. As to begin with, all of those kinds of things we look at in tremendous detail. And we do it just sort of silently and quietly behind the scenes. We are also that liaison between the prescriber and the patient because we answer the patient's questions. We help them understand why they're on it, how they need to manage at home how to support them when they've got questions in between the appointments with the person who has prescribed the medication. So we're running alongside all of the prescriptions that are out there. Barbara really highlights that idea of running alongside the prescription. And it's true that a lot of this work, Sarah, for you, you don't notice because you're not seeing it happen. It's happening mm -hmm. on the phone or on fax, which is too bad because I think when you start to know a pharmacist more closely, if you're working in a small town, or you have somebody on the other side of the wall that you work closely with, that relationship gets built. And then you work closer and you start to trust that other person better. And that's when the information really can flow quickly and efficiently and effectively for patients. It is challenging to bring a new team member in. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about what did Barbara and Sadie say about bringing a pharmacist into a primary care team? They both had some great suggestions here. The first piece was really around defining where the pharmacist can make the most difference. So finding out those areas of care where the detective skills we talked about, the relationship skills, having the time to sit with patients, where that can be most well utilized, where scope can be optimized. Sadie started in the PCN being referred patients for mental health medication support. And this has been a really great win for both her interests and optimizing care for those patients. 
if they're thinking about bringing on a pharmacist, it would be wise to consider how can we optimize this to both improve care for our really complicated high needs patients, but also utilize the skills that can be used to reduce some of the pressure and the burden on the doctor and the other team members. Some of the psych practice that I do is similar. The doctor sees someone and is like, hey, like I've given them a diagnosis of depression or they have anxiety and they're thinking about starting medication. Well, sitting down to talk to someone for 30 minutes to an hour sometimes is what people need before they can make a decision about that, starting on a medication that could go on for years. And that's a tricky thing for a doctor to do. Following up to make sure, are you having any side effects as we titrate the dose upwards, which is a common thing that happens with psych medications. Again, that doesn't need to be the doctor, right? Having recommendations for a second line therapy, if that one didn't work or they're having side effects from it, or trying to pick a medication based on the side effects that we want, right? Are you having trouble sleeping? Well, maybe we can pick something that's a bit sedating and you can take it at bedtime. So this speaks to me both about what a pharmacist is an expert at and then what people have in terms of personal interest. So Sadie's interested in mental health, I think, is something that you'd learn about as you got to know Sadie. And that becomes one of those areas that then you think more about the kinds of people that you'd want Sadie to see. Decisions about when to start or stop medications for depression or anxiety or any mental illness is a big decision for the prescriber and the patient. And the pharmacist can really help considering the various impacts. And they might actually be a, a point of connection. A patient might not come to me as the prescribers, the doctor, and say, I don't want to take that med anymore. They just might stop. And wouldn't it be better if they felt comfortable talking to the pharmacist on the team to get some advice about whether that's a good idea or not before they made that decision? So I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great if you had a new pharmacist on the team and you'd sat down and had a conversation and knew that they were interested in mental health supports, you would then have that sort of automatic trigger of, okay, this is a person I could refer to the new role. And so often we see a new role join a team and then not get utilized. So having those initial conversations about how a role is going to fit into the team and then really using that expertise is just so valuable. Both Sadie and Barbara also talked about the importance of working to physically locate pharmacists within teams, even if they're supporting multiple clinics. The personal connection that team members can get, that relationship piece that we keep coming back to, it's the roses piece of the challenges of navigating the capacity issues in primary care and the need for efficiency, but really also that need for patient-centered, relationship-centered care. So as PCNs have been expanded, lots of different things have been tried to connect pharmacists into care teams. And there really has been some great learnings about what works. And we know that co-location is one of these things. Some PCNs have, with very good intentions, decided that they're going to put the pharmacist in a third-party location so everybody can access that pharmacist. Nobody has a connection with that pharmacist, and that pharmacist might sit and that resource might languish a little bit because they haven't been integrated into being part of a team. We found that it works much better, and actually every single PCN that has started putting the pharmacist in a central location has come to the realization that there are some early adopters that want to work with their pharmacist and are ready to go. That's one of the biggest lessons is that you can't put an interprofessional team member in a distant or a remote location and expect them to be able to connect with the team. We do need to get people together. So I think that's a really important piece. The other thing that I think about, it's not just the team getting to know each other that co-location can help with, but it is that patients trust where they go. And if somebody else happens to be there, that umbrella of trust is then automatically shared to a degree. Now, Sadie's clinical experience has echoed some of what Barbara was saying. And now she's actively supporting 10 different primary care clinics and rotates her time through those clinics. 
Now, she typically spends, as all of us do, spends our time in patient appointments and encounters. And so she needs to maximize the time to connect with other team members. And that's often spontaneous. And so being in a separate office really makes that hard to have those hallway conversations. Yeah, she can't be in 10 places at once. So I actually prefer to not have a dedicated space. Some of the clinics will have a a set office, so a space where you've got a desk, it's set up, but you're really isolated. And I find that I don't develop the same relationship with the doctors when I have this set space put aside. Whereas the clinics that have a bullpen style or where I share maybe a smaller office with a doctor, those ones I find they might be on the phone with a patient and say, hold on, let me ask our pharmacist and put them on hold and turn around and ask me a question. Or they'll finish talking to someone and then say, oh, you know, I really think this would be a good person for you to see. Or, oh, this came up in this appointment. What do you think? Should I refer them to you? So that setting of actually being beside the doctors or other referring practitioners on a regular basis, I think works better and provides a better work environment that's more fostering of the team-based approach. When you work with people on a regular basis, you get to learn, hey, do you want me to reorder this standing order for an A1C for that patient on your behalf? Are you comfortable with that? I've only just been able to talk to a few of the doctors at a few of my clinics in the last month or two about ordering that lab work on their behalf. How do you feel about me updating your medication list and the EMR? Is that something you want me to do or not want me to do? That's something that you work through when you're with someone regularly. But if I'm there once every two weeks and I'm full of seeing patients the entire time, and then when I'm not seeing patients, I'm trying to chart those aspects of being part of the team and really integrating and optimizing the system, I think get missed out. Another point that Sadie emphasized in our conversation was that she described a recent experience she had doing a joint appointment with a nurse. She's only in the clinic once a month, so follow-up with patients can be tricky. But within the team, she and the nurse worked on a care plan and then had the patient follow-up with the nurse, who was filled in on the full situation having been in the initial appointment. The other day, it was one of the first days that I worked on the same day as our PCN nurse. And the doctor was there that day too. It was pretty much a miracle that at this particular island clinic, we had all of the relevant staff. And I had been seeing this one woman for diabetes care, but there is a lot of other medical history and in this case, some psychological needs as well. And the person had an appointment with myself and then with the nurse right after, but after as in after lunch, she would have had to come back. We decided, hey, why don't we do a joint appointment? And we sat down with this person and we did a joint appointment And it was amazing. It was so great. And especially with some of the emotional needs of this person, having someone else there as part of the care team to relieve the burden a little as you're having this big, long appointment with this person. And because the nurse is there more often, she's now able to follow up on changes. I saw this person this last week and I was like, hey, I'm actually not going to be back at this clinic for a month, but can you book in next week to see the nurse to follow up on these changes we just made to your insulin? And at that first appointment, we were able to just step in with the doctor into the room and give him a little bit of a brief This was the discussion we just had with this person. These are our recommendations. Can you write a prescription and send it in for us? And he agreed to do that. So the patient doesn't need to repeat their story and gets quicker access to follow-up care. So I think this is a great example of not only supporting each other as teams, but an opportunity to build a relationship between the team members and to spill that trust across. When new providers are coming into a community and they still don't have a full caseload, they've got a little bit more capacity to start with. And that's a great time to do those joint visits. I'm just going to tag in with you first. 
And then I'm going to see the patient right afterwards. So you get to know the other team member and you get to spend more time with the patient. We also know from our work on resilience and adaptive capacity that when teams invest in dedicated time to make those connections, dedicated time to build team, they're more resilient and they're better able to adapt to challenges as they come up. And, you know, this really does extend to how pharmacists are thought to be members of teams. Sadie shared a really funny story about her first year with a PCN and holiday party invites. This is going to sound a little funny, but stuff like Christmas parties. So last year was the first Christmas I was part of the team of the nine clinics, like maybe one of them mentioned that they were having a Christmas party and thought about inviting me and like, that's fine. I don't need to go to a party. But also like we're trying to build a team here. If you're going to have a holiday party for your team and then you just don't include people who are meant to be part of the team, it just kind of is a red flag to show that we're not quite thought of as part of the team yet. However, this year, there was like so many invitations to Christmas parties, it almost felt overwhelming, especially when you have nine clinics. But when we did, like I started went to a Christmas party, hung out with one of the doctors who I never see because we're on opposite days, had a great time, was able to get that FaceTime in. And just knowing someone and knowing that they're there and they're a resource, then when you see a patient, you think about them more because you've had that FaceTime and you've built a bit of a relationship and you know it's someone that you could pick up the phone and call to ask a question with or feel comfortable referring to. So little simple things like that, I think, make a huge difference. Those small connections and being included fully make such a difference. Social gatherings and celebrations are a really important feature of highly functioning teams. And I think this means we need to advocate for more team parties, Morgan. Sarah, I don't think you'd ever turn down a party. Never. All right. So we've covered a lot of ground from how to integrate pharmacists to how pharmacists are detectives to Sarah, your love of going to parties. (laughs) But let's sum it all up. What are the key takeaways? Okay, so first, pharmacists are impressive detectives who will be able to see opportunities for risk mitigation and enhance patient care that you didn't even realize were there. Pharmacists are also very patient-centered. They look holistically at the patient to ensure that their medications are effective, safe, and meet the needs of the patient, which is very important. And then lastly, you know, what to do when a pharmacist is joining your team. Find out what their areas of interest are. Come up with an initial plan for what that first cohort of patients that they're really going to dive deeply into might be. And then co-locate your pharmacist. Relationships are just so important. So really build in those opportunities. If you can't co-locate, then intentionally bring pharmacists into team meetings virtually and other opportunities for connections like Christmas parties. Yeah, Sarah, I think co-locating Bring people in together for a short period of time just to build that relationship. Super important. If there's one takeaway from this, that's what you should do. Mm -hmm. So thanks for listening to this episode of Team Up. We have some great primary care roles coming up. So tune in next week for a deep dive on social workers. And as always, we love to hear from you. So drop us an email at isu at familymed.ubc.ca with any ideas, feedback. We'd love to integrate it into future episodes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.